Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 38 of Honest Retail. Um, we're sorry to report that, that CJ is unable to get out of bed today. He's very sick, uh, but we were able to get a great guest in uh, this week with Ryan Woodbury from Needed. Uh, Ryan, how are you doing this week? Doing well. How about yourself, Cameron? We're doing well, getting through. First day of November, we had Halloween yesterday. I, uh, Taylor, how are you doing? Taylor, you're muted. I'm doing well. Uh, sorry about that, guys. I'm doing well. I uh, I realized that I last night for my Halloween uh, options for for people that swung by, I did the typical Reese's and then I did Hershey's, and I did something new this year, which was Hershey's fast break. I've never heard of it before. It's like a nougat of sorts. All I can tell you is that don't experiment, folks, because I have a lot of them in my apartment. No one picked up one i don't know what these are i i thought i could like you know like kind of i don't know like spice it up a bit obviously do the typical reese's three musketeers whatever and i was like i don't know what these are these look great well apparently other people don't know what these are either so i'm gonna have some investigating report back i don't know what they are but they didn't go over well yeah, I put out, I put like a bunch of candy out, but then I threw in like I had like a few gigantic chocolate bars left over. Um, and gigantic for people that don't know is like a slightly sweet, like kind of like emerging like chocolate bar. It's very good, but it's also like no one, I would say like not no one kind of outside of like early adopters and like kind of people like in the know would know what it is, especially like 10 year old kid is not going to know what it is. So kids kept coming up being like, this house is like giving away protein bars. And I was like, it's not a protein bar, it's chocolate bar. And so I was definitely like the weird person on the street handing out candy that nobody knew what it was but it was fun uh taylor did you dress up as anything or or it was pretty low-key uh just so you know a busy entrepreneur yeah you know, busy entrepreneur what about you you were like a rock star uh yeah me and my two and a half year old i was axel and he was slash so it a good good little combo costume i'm trying to get away with the years that he'll let me just dress him up in whatever like i want uh and i know next year like he's gonna want to be something lame like Superman or Spider-Man or something like that. So I'm trying to get him creative, like at least this year. Um, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm I'm excited to kind of <laughs> kind of see what uh, what what he's going to want to be next year when I don't have so much influence. Uh, Ryan, um, what was uh, what was kind of your Halloween experience this year? Do you have kids? Like, where are you at? Like, how is it for you? Yeah, totally. So I have an eight month old, and I'm usually not a big Halloween person, but certainly having a kid makes it a lot more fun being able to dress up the children. And we were um, a family of sharks, our two dogs included. Very cool. Um, Brian, why don't you give a little um, background on yourself, uh, a little bit of background on Needed? And um, yeah, we just like to, from Ryan and myself, or for uh, Taylor and myself too, we'd love to just kind of get to know a, bit, a little bit more about your background and kind of what brought you to Needed and where Needed is today. Yeah, absolutely. So Needed really is a perinatal nutrition company. We make nutritional supplements right now focused on the perinatal life stage. So before, during, and after pregnancy, really with the intent of how do you improve outcomes for mom and baby. In the US right now, women are under supported nutritionally, despite 97% of women taking a prenatal while they're pregnant. 
95% of them are nutritionally depleted. So your average run-of-the-mill prenatal supplement isn't cutting it. And these deficiencies are leading to um, subpar outcomes for both mom and baby in terms of both how mom can thrive and then certainly in some developmental issues on the kid's side. And um, so that's the core of what we do. But really, I think this, this interest is rooted in... Um, I think a very personal campaign for my business partner and myself. So we met as next door neighbors at Stanford Business School. Both of us were longtime sort of nutrition enthusiasts, like definitely always the sort of most nutrition focused in our friends group. I really came at it from um, an environmental science background. My background is actually in environmental science focused on food systems. So I was especially surprised and starting to look at kind of maternal years, how nutritionally depleted I was, despite thinking I was doing all the right things and, you know, buying the better for you kind of healthy food products that your show covers to farmer's market shopping, to a lot of direct farm ordering and really kind of discovered I was nutrient deficient. And had I had those leading into pregnancy, um, it would cause um, potential difficulties for myself and my um, unborn child. So it really started out of a sort of a personal need for wanting something better and seeing a lot of friends going through the process. And we've been in market um, two years now. We launched a little over two years in August 2020. So right in the middle of the pandemic, but that was after sort of about a little over three years of research and development, partnering with an interdisciplinary group of practitioners to pull in practice data um, to make our um, basically nutritional assortment better than the status quo. Because effectively, pregnant women are understudied in the US right now. There's not enough information in the clinical research. We know the status quo wasn't cutting it, but had to figure out what would what would be better. And that was really rooted in nutritionally intensive practitioner practices who would come up with various protocols and been testing them for years on their patients. And we're basically refining that down to make it much simpler for the consumer to access um, that nutritional completeness. And are most known for our complete plan right now, which pairs um, four products together, um, a multivitamin, a collagen protein, an omega-3, and a pregnancy-specific probiotic um, to basically more comprehensively meet your needs before, during, and after pregnancy. Very cool. And where, um, so what's kind of the, the, the sales mix? Is it mostly retail? Is it mostly DTC? Kind of where are you at right now? And then are you also experiencing like what we see with a lot of CPG brands right now where you, you got, I know you launched about two years ago, so you probably had a little bit of a COVID uh, boost to your online sales. And are you kind of like figuring out what the new kind of normal is for your online sales and your strategy for 2023? Yeah, happy to answer that. So um, we're in, so you would think of us, so we're like a practitioner grade supplement brand. And most practitioner grade supplement brands used to sell basically more practitioner door to door that you wouldn't necessarily see them in a direct to consumer environment. There might be companies that many of you listening like haven't heard of before, unless you're deep into nutrition, like a orthomolecular designs for health or sort of the list goes on. But we're the first practitioner grade selling direct to consumer. The majority of our revenue is off of our website. We're about 90% DTC and of that 90%, about 85% of it is subscription. So at the core, we are mostly a subscription direct-to-consumer business. What's different is um, I think we have a big ecosystem of practitioners 
that are, instead of holding inventory in their practices, they're coming online now looking to grow. I think COVID accelerated their audiences beyond just a one-to-one patient practice, but being able to serve a wider community. And they are sort of referring to needed. We're well-suited for that because we're sort of the only brand out there right now that has both sort of the nutritional kind of quality that they're looking for and a consumer facing brand. So it can appear well on a Facebook or a TikTok or an Instagram. Um, And with that, we truthfully have not seen any slowdown in this kind of macro environment right now. And I think a lot of that is driven by one, um, I think pregnancy is a pretty recession resistant thing. You're going to like spend up to your awareness of what you need to do to be able to support your unborn baby. It's something that people aren't really going to like take budget cuts on. So that's one driver of it being pretty strongly resistant. Um, resistant. And then I think the second is we definitely serve a hyper nutritionally aware consumer right now. So the kind of practitioners are buying it for themselves and those consumers that are either seeing them as a patient or looking for additional information from a more nutritionally informed practitioner online are hearing about needed from this sort of educated credentialed source. And they're educating the consumer on like sort of why you're wasting your money buying another prenatal. You might as well not buy anything or sort of buy an assortment um, like needed. So we're luckily not seeing any slowdown, which is great. That's awesome. Uh, and then I, I'll, I'll, I'll put my investor hat on for CJ's night here because I'm usually interested in like, you have like a very kind of like cyclical business, right? Someone gets like pregnant, they're then really focused on this and then they're having a the kid and maybe their focus wanders. Like how do you keep that customer like post them using it during the pregnancy or is, it, is that just like a necessary churn where you're just constantly bringing in new customers or are you just like building new products for someone like so a woman who tries needed during pregnancy is then going to kind of continue to buy a certain products post-pregnancy and, and for the rest of their lives? Yeah, and um, so I will answer that sort of two ways of one, And the good news is that our sort of average order values are so high right now that we're like three to four times the industry standard um, with our like customer acquisition costs being in line with a lot of our like direct-to-consumer peers. So that allows us to have, you know, much higher LTVs without actually needing to retain the customer that long. So you can be okay in a shorter kind of prenatal period. But what's even better than that is that we're finding due to our like practitioner education that the pregnancy snapshot period of life is a lot longer than what people would immediately think. As our practitioners will recommend, like basically you should start your prenatal at least six months before trying to conceive and stay on it through your entire childbearing years, including sort of you know, a year after your last child is born. So that like life of a consumer is significantly longer than just those sort of nine months of pregnancy. Um, And again, with our our practitioner base reinforces this and comes from a very kind of credentialed, educational focused way to kind of reinforce why that extension um, is important. And then certainly um, for product development sort of longer term, and we're beginning to see this. And with the launch of our women's health plan um, that just came out earlier this year, it's sort of, okay, when you are done having kids, what do you turn to next? And our women's health plan is a solution for that of our kind of 
we catch the person in pregnancy or in the preconception phase when they're looking, willing to change their routines, build a ton of trust with them. They realize that they feel better than a lot of their peers on our products throughout pregnancy. And then they want to sort of stay with us for the go forward. So I guess three ways of how we're kind of combating that the people viewing the prenatal kind of period of life is very um, minute and it can be much longer than you would think. Yeah. I, it's, if you can, if you can really sell a product to like a rabid like base of customers and moms where like, if the product's super sticky, they're going to talk about it and the word of mouth is going to spread. Like it's an awesome customer group um, to sell into. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's great to see and congrats on all the success and we're excited to have you on. Um, so we usually chat, you know, for the first part about brands that kind of caught our attention over the past week. So Ryan, let's start with you as our guest. Is there any brands that kind of caught your attention or that you tried, uh, that you kind of wanted to shed some light on, uh, here? Yeah, there's one I can say that I actually just discovered, um, via my neighbor who runs a little, like she's a facialist out of uh, her backyard. And she introduced me to a brand called Lene. That is um, a personal care kind of uh, herbally botanical based skincare um, and body care products. And I now have a huge um, kind of girl crush on the founder, Jenna. And I think I often being drawn to really founder led brands where there's a really clear connection um, with why the founder is building it. Like me, she has a kind of an herbalism background and takes a lot of that um, kind of depth of study of herbalism into the sort of the product formulation of her products. And anyways, a little niche, a little small, but like, I, I totally have a girl crush of Jen, on Jenna of Lene and, um, kind of the, the heart and sort of the potency of her products. Very cool. Um, Taylor, how about you? What caught your attention, uh, this week? First off, you're so impressive. We're so excited to have you on here. I feel like what I do for my living is like, I should never, ever tell people I work in like beverage and cannabis moving forward. It's like, I meet people like you and I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? Um, back to the question. I don't um, know about that. I think it's all, <laughs> it's all good. I'm being funny. I'm being funny. I provide some libations and joy for some. Um, yeah, uh, this week, this week, um, it's actually not a new brand, but I've been honestly been meaning to talk about it for, for weeks and I keep forgetting, I think, because we have so many other things that we talk about, but there's a company called The Good Patch. Um, they're wearable wellness patches is what they're called. And virtually, like, I, I have a lot of thoughts around, like, when you go to weddings, they always give you those really dumb, like, no offense, but it's just like, I don't need one more, like, liquid IV or one more thing of, like, the kettle chips. I, I, it's fine, but I think there could be some innovation on that front. So anyway, I think we got, my husband and I got like these good, the, the good patch. Um, I believe originally we bought it from GoPuff before we were leaving for like a wedding weekend. And especially now that I'm not drinking as much, I like want to preemptively get ahead of, if I would ever get hung over or whatever, these patches are insane. Like, so, so the is it rest like a nicotine is, patch, but for like good for you, transdermal yeah. absorption of yes. other things. Interesting. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. I'm in love. So like first the packaging is just beautiful. It's like various colors of pastel, really sleek designs, pretty accessible. Like you can get it all over online on Amazon, GoPuff, whatever. So my husband and I used the, the rescue patch one and we had a wedding like a few weeks ago or a month ago, we felt fresh like daisies the next morning. So I'm now going to buy all of it. There's like ones to help you sleep better. 
there's like ones to keep you calm. I think I'm just going to buy in vats. But anyway, I've been meaning Cam to, to call out this company, the Good Patch, because I just think they're doing some, some really cool stuff, not just for like hangover remedies, but I think across different, yeah, you're right. It's like a nicotine patch, but for different ailments or things like that. It's great. And that's an interesting mixture of just sure. like the thing of you want the benefit of some of these things, but you don't want the actual like consumption ritual and the mixture of, you know, we, we, we make a sleepy tea that I feel like I would take almost now, even if it didn't help me sleep. Cause I just like the ritual of being able to sip it at night, but then for other things, you probably don't want to have to go through the actual kind of moments of having to you know, sip a giant beverage and just being able to put the patch on and don't think about it. Yeah, that's very I mean, cool. that, yeah, it's a cool concept. So anyway, that's mine of the week. I really like what they're doing. Yeah, I think like uh, innovating on delivery uh, is always interesting. Like, I don't know if we've ever talked about Zaz, like the breast spray that's like energy spray. I think we talked about like maybe like a really early episode, but like it's like a breast spray, uh, but also like delivers you like the same energy consumption of like a Red Bull or something. So like it's like delivery techniques are definitely super intriguing, but yeah, that branding's pretty cool. Um, so for me, um, there's a few. So one was Free Spirits. Uh, it's a new brand we just started working with. Um, ordered some, so I'll let you know kind of next week how it is, uh, but super excited um, to try it. They do a bourbon, they do a gin, tequila, um, a Milano. Uh, so they do a ton of different SKUs, uh, but really like the packaging and the team. And so I'm excited to check that out. Um, the other Their one tequila is, is amazing, by the way. It Their is? tequila is amazing. Yeah, I have it. It's wonderful. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll make sure I order that one. Uh, yep. The other one is, uh, it's kind of like cheeky, but it's called Lux Ice. And I thought it was kind of funny because it's like a slow melting drink ice. It's like these big ball, like ice cube balls. Um, and I was like super surprised by how much distribution they had. Um, but I just thought that that was kind of like a fun cheeky party thing, especially for the holidays coming up. Uh, and then the other thing I have to report back is I tried the uh, hemp taquitos uh, from last week's episode, and they were actually very good. So I would tell everybody, Google plant-based foods. Uh, I thought it was super intriguing. My toddler liked them too. Uh, and I definitely, uh, I think taquitos is a good vehicle for plant-based foods. So I'm, I'm all about it. Uh, and it definitely brought me home to like my uh, slightly overweight childhood of like firing up like way too many taquitos after school uh, and just kind of going to town. So I was excited for like a, a healthier option because it's been quite a while since I had an in the oven at home taquito. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, oh, and one other two. So uh, I tried this brand called Roots Farm Fresh, um, which is actually just a sweet potato company. Uh, and I kind of feel like sweet potatoes like had their moment a couple of years ago, but like the growth this company is seeing is pretty crazy right now. Um, and they do a bunch of different applications with sweet potatoes, like sweet potato toast and a bunch of different things. So thought I'd give them a quick shout out because um, I was super intrigued by how fast they've been growing uh, kind of around like one humble ingredient. And I always think um, companies that are kind of basing their, their brand off of one ingredient um, like we talked about loopy last week with the lupini bean, um, you know, those are kind of cool companies and, and how they can figure out different applications for that product is, it's always super interesting. Um, so that's, that's it for me. Um, I want to dive into the topics. Um, our first topic, I think is gonna be right up Taylor's alley. Um, but we were talking about kind of weed starting to come to C stores. And, um, I believe 
Green Thumb Industries recently opened up um, into an agreement with Circle K, which obviously is a really big um, convenience store, especially in the south uh, southeast, I believe. Uh, so it's going to be rolling out in about 600 locations in Florida. I think this is a really cool test case for this. Um, you know, Taylor, you're you're kind of more in tune to this um, than kind of anyone else, obviously, through through everything you're doing on a daily basis. But where do you see this as like a step in the right direction towards um, you know, marijuana products being available and readily available in retail. I think it's huge. I mean, just from like, again, it, a lot of it's just like general visibility, right? Like to help make, make things mainstream, obviously, like from a legal perspective, things are moving in the right direction. We're getting there. Um, but when you think about optics for something like this, and by the way, the writer of this piece is, is her name is Tiffany Carey um, from Bloomberg. We should, I know her pretty well. We should see if we could have her on at some point. She'd be an interesting person to also talk to as just an aside. Um, yeah, I mean, look, like there's obviously a huge market for this and in the States that it's, it's legal. Yeah, I mean, there is this association with always, it's like dispensaries or kind of these like shady pop-up bodegas and stuff like that across the country. But in reality, the more, the more visibility and the more kind of main mainstream retailers take on to something like this, I think just generally the more adoption, the more awareness, kind of the more streamlined it'll become. I mean, it, it obviously like goes in hand, one in hand, like it goes hand in hand with on the regulatory side, things continuing to move along. But when it comes to like consumer options and accessibility and availability, I think this is big. Yeah, this is great. I think there'll be a market for it. I foresee it obviously doing well in these stores. And I think if they can do more of these in the markets where it's you know, recreational, I don't see a, a downside. Um, yeah, I think it's a step in the right direction. I think in tandem with everything going on the regulatory side, I think things are moving, you know, in, in a good pace. I don't, I wouldn't say quick because none of this is really quick, but I think we're definitely making a lot of progress, especially with some of the stuff uh, more recently that Biden's been into effect. So it's, it's really exciting. Yeah, and I think like it's it's like obvious now after the fact that like of course like a C store would be like probably the best like application to test this out initially. Like obviously you're not going to go to a traditional retailer or a big box retailer with this. Like I think just the variety of products they have um, like at C stores. Like I thought like it was a weird thing initially because I'm like oh most people are buying this driving through on the road, but then I realized like Circle K, Seven Eleven, Wawa they also sell like alcohol too. So it's like it's also a place just to, like go in for quick things. So after that I kind of thought the application um, and like this vertical is probably the best use case for it. I'm, I'm interested to see like what the actual products are going to be um, and like how it's going to be merchandised inside the store. But yeah, I mean, it's like a, kind of like, of course, Florida is going to be the first one to test this out. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, <laughs> it'll probably be like, it'll probably be like vapor, like things that are like, I don't know, like pre, pre-rolls or vaporizers or stuff like that. Uh, but just my thought, we'll see. As Cam likes to say, we, we'll wait. We'll wait and see. So we will wait and see. We will uh, wait and see. <laughs> Ryan, what was? Uh, uh, I don't know. One, how much kind of uh, experience you have in the cannabis industry? If you kind of know any of like like the regulatory battles that have been going on, uh, and kind of how they're approaching retail. But what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, not too far off from Taylor. I certainly don't follow it anywhere close to where she does. But I have a couple of good friends that play in the space, and I, I think the the where. I had an interest level is sort of that like basically more of an in-between kind of offering for um in terms of I think of in LA I feel like you either have super luxury I'm based here in LA kind of cannabis dispensaries or as Taylor mentioned sort of the ones that are a little seedy make you uncomfortable and um I think a lot of those like sort of 
kind of almost this is the fast casual maybe analogy of of weed and where you know like a chipotle potentially good quality but also much more accessibility and seeing it in florida for the first time i think makes sense yeah but, i think like you gotta like it's like the free market and like capitalism at the end of the day is probably what has to push like the government to move faster so getting these kind of deals and like seeing what the results are and then getting other contracts in line is probably what's going to start like pushing regulators in the right direction too so that's always good to see and it's nice to see circle k was willing to kind of take that step and and be the testing ground for it. i think they'll be rewarded for it uh, mightily for sure um, let's move into another topic. Um, for me, I thought this was super interesting. It's something we always talk about here. We talk like on a daily basis, but, um, you know, obviously there was a huge pouring out of the stores during COVID and now a lot of people are going back to their normal purchasing habits, but although stores are continuing to increase, like making it easier for customers to buy online or order through Instacart, they also want to get customers into the store. Um, obviously like you're going to buy more when you're into the store. Uh, there's more of that product discovery, more of that customer loyalty, so a nice article, obviously we love, you know, following the people over at Modern Retail was kind of talking about how retailers are starting to build out what we call third spaces inside of these stores. So whether that's like a coffee shop or a brewery, it's talking about HEB building out like an events hall and a concert hall. Um, just thinking of creative ways to get customers back into the retail stores. Um, you know, I think there's been a lot of research talking about people now working at home, kind of craving these third spaces. Uh, you used to have like the office. Or really right? a second space now because right. their, their second space has disappeared. <laughs> right. And it's just, it's very like difficult for them to figure out like where they go to socialize. And so uh, it might sound sad, but like the grocery store is kind of that place for a lot of people. And like, I know I make multiple trips and if it's like, I just want to get out of the house for a second, like it's an easy, like kind of trip to go justify. Um, and I think what they want to do is make it more of a destination. I think, um, you know, uh, creating like kind of a brewery or a coffee experience inside of the store is definitely like in the right direction. But I think like retailers are going to be thinking really outside the box uh, around how they're going to get customers into the store next year. I definitely think like less gimmicks and more like curation and consumer experience and just working on making the stores more about product discovery and less about like, how do we keep the customer in here for things outside of just shopping for groceries is probably the better route. Um, but obviously these, these stores are pouring a lot of resources and a lot of financing, um, you know, into this vertical. Um, Ryan, what were your thoughts with this? Like, how did your purchasing kind of decisions change during COVID? And do you find yourself kind of going to the store recreationally? And, and did any of these things resonate as things that you know, get you into the store? Totally. I mean, I think uh, my first reaction to the article was just like, wait a second, how is this news right now? Because I think this has been a trend that I've been following um, for a long time now. So I remember in, when a Whole Foods first opened in my hometown when I was in high school. Um, and we used to go to Whole Foods, you know, my in high school for dinner. Like you, they had a wine bar, they had a sushi bar. So you would actually go, that would be like the either like activity with your friends or as a family, we'd go when my mom didn't want to cook and let's go eat at Whole Foods and hang out. And it would be a little bit of that whole kind of product discovery search. So it's a trend that I'm sort of very bullish on and maybe COVID slowed down a little bit. Um, but I think it's here to stay and it will just be figuring out which retailers will actually kind of win and getting the right sort of mix of um, of offerings such that people really want to hang out there. But Cameron, like you, I mean, I work fully from home now and feel like Air, Air One here in LA, sorry, LAing myself is definitely like that 
kind of go-to place for where you take meetings when you do need to take them. Yeah, I feel like Erewhon or like a Foxtrot could get away with like a like a Sunday sessions, like jam session or like acoustic guitar, like, you know, like a, a band there playing or, you know, some sort of like farmer's market or events, right? I think it's harder to be like, yeah, we're going to HEP for a concert. Totally. Um, like it's definitely, but, it, but I guess it would make sense. But big trend, I don't know, just better use of this expensive retail space. Like you see it now with um, a lot of the yoga studios going out of business that the Lululemons and the Aloes of the world have made their retail stores actually destinations for yoga classes too. And all of the rack clothing racks are actually on wheels and they'll slide it to the side so that you can do a yoga class and then hopefully spend a little bit of money in person there afterwards too. But I think there's just going to be huge increasing amounts of this um, in both grocery stores and in other retailers trying to become third or second places now. Yeah. And I think it's like, we always harp on brands, like positioning yourself to be like omni-channel is probably the way to win. And like retailers are thinking that same way, right? They want to figure out how to get the customer in the store, increase their basket size, but also target them online for their core business subscriptions. Taylor, are you and the hubby going to to Whole Foods on the weekends for your date nights moving forward if, if they start building out these things or what was your thoughts on it? You're already laughing. I see you already laughing because, you know, this is like, okay, here's what I think. I have an interesting thought around all this. So, uh, no, first to answer your question. Uh, second is I ran by a few days ago um, a really cute baby store, like clothing store. I'll explain where I'm going with this. And there was like all this cute clothing in the window and we don't have kids, but we always love kid clothing. So I'm taking a photo and then there was a sign outside that was like, also, while you're here, we do like nice high-end haircuts for kids which prompted me to think in advance of this call or this recording, like they're thinking of all these things, like, well, if we have them, let's have a cafe and let's do a concert. Why don't you think of the consumer? Like I go into a grocery store. I went into a grocery store, Crack and Dawn this morning. I needed things printed at UPS. I needed to get uh, stamps. I needed to get blah, blah, blah. Wonder if like, there's something about less about like just the, the sheer staying put of these people, but more like thinking through the lens of, can we become more like, you know, everything's about this, like super app, super app. Let's have everything be one big app. Like thinking about retail a little bit like that. Like, are there synergistic businesses on a localized level or a national level that could literally be part of, to her point, like, you know, Dylan's point, like all these like retail places that have such expansive locations already thinking of like, what are their needs? And like, are there companies that could do pop-ups that are less like we're doing a concert. I don't need a concert. I need stamps. I need things printed. So I, maybe I'm being way too practical poly here, but like, it'd be cool if I could go into more of those places that, yes, I agree around the curation. I think moving forward, the more they could curate, I think that will be a reason why people go there and spend more time. But on a much more practical level, the reason why something like an Amazon works is because you can get everything like in one stop shop online from a marketplace. I would love to have something like that if I'm going to be going to a grocery store, even just one thing that may be actually tech, like beneficial on a day-to-day to that consumer, not as sexy. I don't know if that makes sense, but I was just I thinking think about that. I think it totally makes sense. but I, And it's sort of like there are opposite trends that I think are mutually going in the same direction of sort of consumers are both looking for sort of convenience around order of the head, curbside pickup, delivery, everything being in one place. And they're looking for somewhere to go that is 
interesting and pleasant and curiosity sort of invoking. And both can happen at the same time and maybe not in the same retail location, but they're right. two different paths retailers can go right. to sort of figure out how do we get people in store spending more money. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of like describing what Costco is, right? So like Costco to many people is like one, it's like your whole day's activity. And then two, it's like most people will allocate their time to like go eat at the Costco place, like Costco hot dogs and hamburgers and, and pizza is like a staple that people are like religious about. Um, and then also too, like there's like a whole printing service, like at Costco, right? So you can go there and take care of all of that. Like there's cash tracking, yeah. like cash tracking services there. You can literally like go and plan your trip, like through like travel agents inside of Costco. So like, there's so much stuff like you can do That's in cool. there. I think it's just more of like Costco is probably not like top of mind for like a lot of uh, like millennial or Gen Z shoppers who don't want to like go into the suburbs and buy like, uh, you know, bulk stuff. But I think there's an application for like a lot of these smaller, like smaller stores or even just like traditional retailers to think through that. Um, Cause to me, it's like, I look at like the death of like malls traditionally, it's like, okay, well, like people are still going to funnel somewhere else. Um, and the more you can do um, for those customers, I think the better, but like, you know, this isn't necessarily new, right? Target has had Starbucks inside of them for a long time. Like Walmart has, I believe Subway and, and Dunkin' Donuts and a few other locations. So um, it's not new necessarily. I think it's more of just like the traditional kind of like high-end grocers. It's definitely a new approach for them, whether it's like a Sprouts or an HEB. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of approach it for maybe a more like, um, like higher-end consumer. Awesome. Um, well, kind of sticking on the retail aspect of it, we, we touched a little bit on the Kroger and Albertsons merger, uh, which Ryan, I'd love to get kind of your thoughts overall um, on kind of that. And we talked a little bit about how that's going to consolidate to, to represent about 18% of the total grocery um, market. And one of the words like we kept hearing about uh, in industries, especially like over the last six months when we were raising capital was, was talking about, you know, retail advertising. Every single investor we talked to was like, you got to get into retail advertising. You got to get into retail advertising. And it's, it's very interesting to see this market just kind of explode over the last four years to, I think it's over you know, north of 40 billion right now. And when we explain Walmart or retail advertising, we're talking about like companies like Walmart um, really having like their full online capabilities and then serving brand messages, brand ads that those brands are paying to paying for back to their Walmart consumers. Again, thinking through the fact that like most traditional retailers don't necessarily make their money off of the margin of the product they sell on their shelf, but all of the extra fees and services that they're actually selling back to the brand. So retail advertising is the same thing. It's Kroger, it's Albertsons, it's Walmart going back to those brands saying, hey, you want to get your product off the shelf? Well, why don't you target our customers the same way you would target on Facebook or TikTok or anything like that? And so obviously Kroger and Albertsons merging uh, creates a really big opportunity for retail advertising in this space. Um, so Ryan, I want to get your thoughts. One on like, you know, kind of what were your thoughts? You know, I'm sure like as you go into retail over the next few years, Kroger and Albertsons, you know, might be on the, the roadmap there. Um, so what were your thoughts on kind of that merger and larger consolidation we see as these companies go against Amazon and Walmart? And then what were your thoughts kind of on, um, you know, retail advertising? And as a brand, do you feel like it's kind of like another thing that makes it harder for you to think about getting into retail? Because it's just another cost associated with it. It's like, you know, um, it, and now it's just you're having to pay um, this retailer for something else that's hopefully going to get your product off the shelf versus just getting the product on and hoping your customer resonates with it and, and buys it. Yeah. I'm um, happy to give thoughts. I mean, at a high level, I think 
the merger makes sense when you look at the mar- the market at large with just needing to compete with Walmart and Amazon, why Kroger and Albertsons and sort of their shareholders seem mostly in favor of the combination. Um, obviously, there's a lot of antitrust issues that are coming up that we can sort of dive into that I have some questions around that guard. But I think from Needed's perspective and looking sort of longer term, we are maybe less sort of bullish on you have to be omni-channel at least near term than a lot of other brands are so I think we will we do take a little bit of like a maybe a contradicting viewpoint there um for our your your margins can probably provide you with that like safety right the same way with like a cosmetics company like it's I'm sure that the margins probably direct some of that thing right yeah, so I mean, we do supplements. One of the reasons um, I think it's getting a lot of attention of late is it is really high margin, which also does set you up well for a retail environment too, because they their margin kind of crunching the same way uh, fulfillment is. But I think a lot of it is just like for us, our product does take a lot of education, and maybe this is where the like retail advertising could be really beneficial for us longer term is with when there's more of a focus there is that our product does take education to understand why it's different than a lot of the other sort of products out there. And it's not something that's immediately easy to understand because most consumers don't know how to read a nutritional facts label. And that's why we are have this great partnership with practitioners and in a lot of ways are reliant on them to help educate, to talk about, okay, why our product is so much better than some of the other kind of names that you have out there. And to date, we've had sort of difficulty in looking at retail around, it's harder for us to sort of educate on the shelf of maybe retail can be great for discovery, but not unless you have, you know, a good sort of store clerk or the ability to do in-store kind of educational merchandising around why it's different. How do you look at it side by side? And I think there are applications with, you know, certainly retail advertising around how you're partnering properly with retail stores to educate more and then kind of build that demand sort of fulfillment in store versus just buying direct. Yeah, I um, yeah, I definitely agree. And I think like one of the interesting things was like, it was kind of talking about like the retailers kind of grading their own homework, right? So it's like, if I'm Kroger and I'm saying, hey, you, you ran these ads and this was the effectiveness of it, uh, it's very difficult like because there's no third party actually verifying that. Um, the value of that Kroger loyalty card data and the Albertsons Kroger you know, kind of merger coming together um, is definitely huge for these brands, but it, it's it's definitely hard to measure the validity of it and you know how it really moves the needle for the brands. Uh, I just think the brands get so tired of of all the additional fees um, that are associated with retail. Um, and you, know, you lose is, touch with being able to like really learn anything about your customer too. Right. So it's like, you know, I, I do have a company that's based off first party data. And so I will continue to like harp on like, listen, as a brand, like if you don't own your first party data, you don't own your data. So it's like, you really need to like focus on like how to get your consumers into the store and just be a lot less reliant on like that store level program. Uh, like you have an audience, you have a subscriber list, you have followers, like get those customers into the store. Uh, and it will definitely save you from having to participate in these really expensive trade spend programs. And then you can kind of become an omni-channel brand and independent of, you know, all of the crazy trade spend uh, of the traditional retailers. Um, Taylor, what, what were your thoughts on this? I know we talked a little bit about Drizzly 
and like they're kind of ad network. Um, obviously, this magnitudes of scale larger than that. Uh, and, and you work with a ton of brands. I mean, do you ever do you kind of hear the frustration of of the brand side of like just how expensive the retail game is? Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to add, honestly. I think, I mean, you guys have kind of covered it, and you know, I think just at a high level, yes. I mean. It's, it's one of those things where I always say just, you know, more generally speaking, you know, when people want to create brands, take beverage out of it, it's just, there are so many factors that go into it, which is why half of my day is spent focused on helping the capital raise at this point, <laughs> uh, just because the, there's just so many needs. And so this is just, I don't have much else to add, but this is just another, you know, proof point of, of kind of the continual needs for these brands to be able to kind of even just keep up uh, with the, with the current competition. So Yes. And, you know, it's a big facet as to why, like a lot of these companies outside of the, all the other considerations are um, just constantly fundraising. This is just another, another example of that. Yeah. Ryan has, has needed um, recently fundraised or is it bootstrapped or kind of what was your funding strategy? Yeah. So we've, um, we are, uh, we do have institutional investors um, and we did do an internal round in Q1 of this year. Luckily, uh, my business partner and I both had sort of separate maternity leaves and our um, business is luckily going really, really well. So our board um, was like, we don't want you guys out fundraising. We'll just give you the valuation you want so you can stay focused on um, hitting milestones, which is nice to be well capitalized for the moment. And then we will see what... um, next year looks like (laughs) yeah how how are you viewing like your capital deployment right now is it are you viewing it more under the lens of like hey we were lucky enough to secure capital this year we want to deploy capital when others are kind of sitting on their hands and kind of gain market share or is it more of like we don't understand like it's going to be choppy waters maybe in 2023 as well and we need to stretch this out as long as possible yeah so I would say sort of our, we are not slowing down growth right now. We have a sort of a strong ROI on our marketing dollars right now. So we are sort of very much focused on growth. Um, We've also been very focused on, um, I guess, debt. Um, And luckily before kind of the debt markets kind of collapsed, we're able to sort of lock in some pretty strong um, inventory financing terms that give us a lot more working capital flexibility to extend runway. So we are focused on runway, um, but in sort of capital allocation, but not at the expense of um, slowing down growth and making sure we can kind of, I don't know, cash conserve, I would say. It's sort of a moment where we don't want to take our foot off the gas pedal. But um, I'm curious in terms of the conversation for what I know we're covering in a little bit on the beatbox raise of just, I think in the tough market environment, I think winners can still raise. And just the question is, is just will, you know, multiples and valuations be depressed than what you would have in another microclimate. But I think if the core fundamentals of your business are good, if we needed cash right now, I think we could get it. It just would be sort of at a probably a multiple less than, um, you know, same circumstances. Otherwise, for where our business is at, we would have gotten six months ago. Yeah, no, and and we did we had beatbox on the docket. Uh, I definitely wanted to get um, kind of CJ's thoughts on that. So I was upset to see that you know he was he was not feeling well today. But with with beatbox, it was interesting to see that they raised fifteen, and I think the article mentioned like at a two hundred million dollar valuation. You don't usually see companies 
only do seven and a half percent like for an actual round. So what we kind of talked about like on our on our text messages all back together is like this is probably like an internal round um, and they're just kind of bringing in a little bit of capital to continue growth. I've been super intrigued by Beatbox's growth. Um, we've we've worked with them kind of in the past and really love the team over there. Um, Amy and everyone's great. Uh, but Taylor, what was your kind of thoughts on, uh, have you have you been following Beatbox and kind of like what they've been building? Have you tried the product before and, and what was your thoughts on the raise? Beatbox is my, my longest standing client. I've been with them for three plus three years. So yeah, very familiar <laughs> with everything. Um, yeah, I, I think with them, I've been most impressed, honestly, with their ability. I have my role is I help on like an advisory, you know, just a strategic advisor for the business like I do with all these other companies. And I've always found their story really interesting. One is they're like kind of <clears throat> they diverted away. They're technically an orange fermented wine and they were sold as a wine and sold by wine distributors. And then right when I was kind of got involved around two and a half, three years ago, um, <clears throat> they got rid of all of their wine distributors and started working with beer distributors. And it changed the trajectory of their business in tandem with having Mark Cuban. They were on Shark Tank, Mark Cuban on board, some other notable investors. So it all kind of cumulatively helped. But first, just changing distribution strategy changed their business entirely. They're a party punch. They shouldn't have been sold necessarily as a wine, you know? And then the other is they're just, they're very clear on their audience. We always say we're kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio, or it's like, as we all get older, our audience continues to get younger. And just being very clear on, you know, they spend virtually nothing on marketing. And, and really the money that they spend is on sampling and experiential and really owning kind of that concert scene, which is where their audience is. And so... I think from start to finish, they've, you know, I, I, you know, I've always admired Amy and Justin and Brad, who are the kind of trio of founders, and I think they're just a really good example of like just follow, just stay in your lane, like know who your audience is, and just do what you need to do to make sure that like you are targeting them to a T, and don't divert, and things will go right, and you know, have strategic people on board, both from like a capital perspective, but also just like from a general advisory perspective. And I think even Mark Cuban said like last week or the week before on Forbes that like Beatbox is one of his most, I think either successful or favorite investments he's ever made. So it's quite quite a notable uh, statement coming from someone like him. But yeah, I, I drink I drink the party punch. <laughs> yeah, I like the blue one. No, it's like it's kind of Beatbox like thing like a Gatorade. Like I just identify it by color and not necessarily flavor. But we had like a Beatbox like happy hour at uh, Expo East at our booth last year. Uh, and I remember the blue was a hit. So yeah, I'm always I was intrigued by the team. I'm also like, it's not like a young company, like they've been around for, for a while. And so it's nice to see kind of sustained growth. Uh, but I'd have to imagine like over the next few years, they'll definitely be like an acquirer for this and, and a lot of interest around it. So it'll be interesting to see kind of their growth. Um, you know, Ryan, I was kind of talking to you about kind of your fundraising strategy. Um, you know, what were your thoughts kind of when you saw this? And I guess, you know, kind of continue our conversation, like, what's your overall kind of advice maybe for, you know, as a founder that's, that's raised this year. And you know, that there's a lot of brands out there that are, that are, I mean, me and Ryan, I mean, me and sorry, Taylor talk every single day about like how all of the brands that we work with are trying to raise capital right now. And it's really difficult out there. Like, what are your kind of thoughts on just like the overall market and, and, you know, how are you reading it right now? Yeah. I mean, I think it's similar to what I said before on the overall market. It seems like, investors are looking for a deal sort of they are at least in coming to a new round for the first time that I think valuations and multiples are depressed so a lot of the advice that we've received is if you don't have to raise right now 
don't, I guess that's kind of taking a bet that things are going to get better, not worse. And we don't know how bad 2023 is going to be. So a lot of that would depend on just what your sort of runway is and how do you think your sort of trajectory is going to look. But the other yep. thing that I highly yep. recommend <laughs> is yep. um, I think there's just massive trends right now around sort of, I mean, like Shopify was almost like 1.0 of making it easier for businesses um, to launch and getting that, you know, uh, cart and website up in a simple way. There's huge trends right now on all of these um, basically uh, tech-enabled debt providers, um, help almost helping like 2.0 of how do you finance inventory, how do you finance market marketing spend. And I really would sort of stress other entrepreneurs to dig deeply into those options, whether it's like a settle or a gourmet growth or kind of the, uh, the list goes on. I think there's like at least 30 of them that I'm aware of right now for alternative ways to um, finance your business beyond just equity dollars. It's been transformational for our growth and um, actually limiting the amount of equity we otherwise have wanted to raise. Yeah, I think it's like, a, it's a, it's definitely a funny, like, or slippery slope with that, because I feel like some people are like so concerned about taking on debt and more of like maybe some of the personal risk and things like that um, versus equity. Uh, but I, I think maybe it's like, it's now people have overcorrected to like not even thinking about that at all, uh, yeah. just because the capital markets have been so good over the last decade. Uh, and, you know, there's been basically a lot of free money out there from investors. And a uh, lot of these lenders, you don't like what for our, you know, our line of credit, um, there isn't any personal guarantee, which does take right. the, the risk for founders down a lot. Because I think a lot of those personal guarantees are certainly scary for sure. Yeah. And a lot of them are actually moving more towards like subscription SaaS models, which like um, is probably smart for them long term. I think it, it decreases that personal risk and then it, it provides them a lot of like more like... Uh, reoccurring revenue which is super helpful for them but yeah we've we work with a ton of of those and we've been making a lot of intros um to a lot of um inventory financing companies as well um and they've been definitely booming uh, over the last year I, I think my advice like i keep telling brands like if you can hold off until 2023 i think there's a lot of capital like on the sidelines right now um and probably waiting to deploy till next year but i know that that's not really a luxury that a lot of these brands have um and so it's uh it'll definitely be interesting um as i say to see how plays out um but yeah i i we have one other topic i we're kind of up against it um so i, I kind of wanted to to wrap it at this point but ryan um if anybody has any questions or wants to learn more about needed like where can they get in contact with you how can they find out more uh and thank you so much for for joining us today thank you for having me this was fun um and i kind of joked at the beginning that i feel like i've been so heads down in my business that it was a good excuse to look out and understand a little bit more what's happening in the world right now but uh for needed you can find us on at needed on instagram and eedd or this is needed.com and um yeah shout out i you know hello at this is needed or um dm us and um all of that will get to me directly too yeah congrats on building a great business uh the branding is also super slick um and uh yeah looking forward to to reading about a lot about needed over the coming years so good luck with everything taylor as always thanks for for joining in and, and we'll be back next thanks. week uh with another great episode